I'm Ben Glickman, and you're listening to The Bruno Brief from the Brown Daily Herald and WBRU. Each week, we take you inside one of the Brown Daily Herald's top stories. Brown students living in Texas were hit hard by the winter storm two weeks ago that caused a power grid failure and left homes across the state without heat, running water, or electricity. We're joined by senior staff writer Liza Mullet, who reported on how remote students are navigating the aftermath of the crisis in Texas. Liza, thanks for being with us. Thanks so much for having me. I'm sure many of our listeners have already read a lot of the news about the storm in Texas, but you spoke directly with some Brown students about their experiences during the storm. There are 287 students from Texas enrolled at Brown, and obviously not all of them are in Texas right now, but some of them are studying remotely from their home state when the storm hit. Did you get a sense of what the general feeling was amongst these students in Texas? So I spoke to three students who are from Texas and studying remotely from there. And the general consensus was a feeling of chaos and uncertainty during the storm. The three students I spoke to all lost power, some lost water, and academics were pushed to the back burner. And the focus was just on dealing with the unprecedented cold, the power outages, and all of the chaos that came with it. Can you tell us a little bit about what it was like on the ground for these students? So on the ground, a lot of students experienced everything from food shortages in their own homes to really long uh, gas station lines. I spoke to Giovanna Milano, who is from McAllen, Texas, and that is a city close to the border with Mexico in southern Texas, really not used to this type of cold. Us Texans aren't prepared for this weather. It usually doesn't get below, you know, 50, especially where I'm from. So our power went out at about 1 p.m. on Monday, Mm -hmm. and I was in the middle of a Zoom meeting, and it cut me off. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's okay. I'll be back, whatever. And it didn't come back. We didn't have power for about five days. Our grocery stores were emptied. Even, like, fast food restaurants and stuff had to close early because they didn't have, you know, any more food. People were really panicking. Gas stations, my dad would wake up at 5 in the morning to, like, go fill up the car with gas. And I remember Wednesday, he was like, yeah, there's no more gas. It was just scary to be in McAllen while this is all happening, especially because we didn't know when the power was going to come back on. And I had class. I couldn't even watch the news. Like, I didn't know what was going on in the rest of the state. Liza, who else did you speak to specifically? Can you tell us a little bit about their experiences? I also spoke to John Lynn. Um, he's from Houston and he's in the class of 23. He said that his family was unable to access their refrigerator and most of their food. The day before the storm hit, they filled up their bathtubs with water just because they knew they wouldn't have access to water. I wasn't concerned for my life because we don't have anyone who is on life support, who needs oxygen machines. But my parents were especially frustrated because you don't have water, you don't have electricity, you don't have any of these basic essentials. It was, um, it was, it was pretty bad. Were there any other anecdotes that students told you about how life has been turned upside down by this storm? Yeah, the story that stuck out to me the most was definitely speaking to Marie Ann Barone. She's currently dealing with her house being entirely flooded. So currently she is living in her cousin's house temporarily with her mother, grandmother, and her grandmother's husband. Tuesday, we got power at noon. And we were like, thank God. We were turning on the lights. We were charging things. We were turning on space heaters. We were just doing everything we hadn't been able to do for 30 plus hours at that point. We sat down to have lunch 
And as we're sitting down to have lunch, we notice that there's water falling from the ceiling. And we're like, oh, what's that about? And then we hear a loud boom, like just something thudded. And we're like, that is not good. My mom and I raced upstairs. We we didn't even need to race upstairs because you could see the damage on the first floor. My mom was the only one who went up into the attic. I didn't go with her. And she says it looks like a Las Vegas water show of just pipes and water just bursting everywhere. You could see it coming out of the air vents. You could see it coming out of the electrical outlets. You could feel the walls. They were damp. And the thud that we had heard was the bathroom ceiling, which is also our attic floor, caved in. So it was wet, just basically flooding. We didn't even have enough towels or pots or bowls to hold the water. So it, it was just, it was so bad. It seems like these conditions that some of the students you spoke to are living under would make online school basically impossible. What did your sources say about how professors have responded to the situation? I have to say the recurring theme with everyone beyond chaos and the disruption of life was that professors have been extremely understanding and accommodating with the loss of power, as well as being in a situation where your house is freezing, dark, no running water. Especially with Marie Ann, she told me that her professors have been extremely understanding, given that she is currently displaced from her home. And they said that she's hoping to go back to school by the first week of March. But she said that her professors have told her she can take her time, given her dire situation. It seems like a lot of students are displaced and are without Wi-Fi. Has Brown done anything to support these students financially during this crisis? Yeah, so this uh, came up a lot in my conversation with Marie Ann. So she is part of the UFLY, or undocumented first-generation low-income student community. So she said she has been really struggling, her family has been really struggling to afford all of the repairs to the damage that her house has sustained. And her sorority, Alpha Chi Omega, set up a GoFundMe page to help her family cover the cost of these damages. But she said she has already drained her savings in her checking account. So she's really looking to the university for assistance. Students like Marie Ann can apply for EGAP funds for emergency situations that cover non-academic needs or crisis expenses. So for example, students can apply for funds if they have a lack of winter clothing or lacking other essentials in a situation like this. Marie Ann has applied for EGAP funds just given her financial situation. I also spoke to Dean of the College, Rashid Zia, and he told us in an email that his colleagues in the college as well as student support services and the UFLY Center have been in touch with students and faculty just to help ensure instructor flexibility and help explain how students can apply for these EGAP funds. So there are definitely um, support structures in place to help these students get the financial assistance they need. In the view of the students that you spoke to, has what the university provided financially in, in the form of EGAP funds been sufficient in light of this crisis? So when I spoke to several students Marie Ann was the one who was saying that she really wished or was hoping that the university could definitely pull through for her. Even though individual administrators and individual professors are wonderful, the institution is not really providing the most help. They're saying, we hope your teachers will be providing flexibility, and that's very appreciated. 
but also we need monetary help. I need a safe place to live. I need a stable place to live. I am temporarily houseless. And I don't think Brown has realized that that's the situation I'm in right now, not just, oh, there's something that's leaking and I want it fixed. What are the limits of EGAP funding? Are there restrictions on what it can be used for? Yeah, so according to Dean Zia, not all EGAP applications can be full and funded due to, as he said, important federal guidelines that restrict what they can fund. So, for instance, expenses already covered by financial aid cannot be funded through EGAP. So although EGAP really seeks to support students as much as they can, not everything can be fully fulfilled. And what does Marie-Anne need these financial resources for at this moment in the midst of this crisis in Texas? Yeah, so obviously currently Marie Ann has a lot of expenses to cover, but she is asking the university for assistance for alternative housing. She said that the per night rates of the hotels in her area have dramatically increased um, just because of people flocking to hotels given the damage of their houses. So she can't currently afford these kind of increased prices. So and Currently, like I said before, she is in a situation where her family is living with her cousins temporarily, but again, there is risk for her family with COVID. So Marie Ann was reaching out to the university in hopes that they could support her through aid for alternative housing at the moment. And without access to that EGAP funding for alternative housing, how is Marie Ann making do? So as I mentioned before, her sorority, Alpha Chi Omega, has been really instrumental, she said, in supporting her and her family. They have set up a GoFundMe page that has pulled in thousands of dollars to help her family. I'm literally only going to be able to afford the things that my house needs to be fixed because of the GoFundMe that they set up. And that's still like after draining my savings and my checkings, like... I'm a UFLY student, so like that's also why I was really hoping Brown would pull through for their UFLY students. She's currently in a really difficult situation. She said she's unsure about what the future is going to hold. And more generally, how did the students you spoke to feel about the situation in Texas moving forward? Every student I spoke to really expressed frustration with the state and kind of a lack of hope for the future about how the situation is going to be resolved. Texas has an independent power grid that is less regulated than other power systems across the country. When I spoke to John Lynn, he expressed frustration saying this is all human caused. All of this could have been avoidable. This is like 100% the responsibility of the state of Texas. The state government knew about this ahead of time. This actually happened a decade ago in Dallas. I think they called it the Dallas Super Freeze because it happened the week before the Super Bowl. But the Texas government didn't change anything, even though federal regulators recommended changes. And now millions of Texans are suffering for no good reason. Liza, thanks for being with us. Thanks so much for having me. In other news, the university this week signed agreements to consolidate a statewide academic health system, along with healthcare giants Lifespan and Care New England. 
Brown has committed to investing $125 million in the merger, which aims to bring together resources from hospitals, along with research and education from Brown's Alfred Medical School. This has been The Bruno Brief. Our show is produced by Livy Burdett, Corey Gelbignell, and me. The Bruno Brief is an equal partnership between WBRU and the Brown Daily Herald. I'm Ben Glickman. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.